Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It was not that Joseph couldn't see the evil that was against him. It was not that there was plenty of evil that was against Joseph. As a matter of fact, when Jacob was dying and he gives his last blessing on Joseph, that's what he talked about in Genesis 49.23. 49.23, when Jacob said, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. There's a lot of evil there. A lot of evil that Jacob was talking about when he studied the archers sorely grieved him and shot at him, hated him. It was just like a continual attacks, continual grieving him and shooting at him and hating him. And Joseph was aware of that. He was very well aware of all the evil that was against him. He said, you thought evil against me. He knew that. But he saw, he, he saw the hatred of the brothers. It's what he saw beyond his brothers when he said, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. That's Joseph looking beyond the evil to see the good hand of God. And that's how Joseph is showing us today how to be kept from bitterness in life. It's by looking beyond the evil and the hurt to see the good hand of God. Now, we're here, and this is a wonderful way to close out a final chapter in Joseph's life, but this is the final chapter of Joseph's life that's finishing up here. I mean, you kind of look back now over Joseph's life, and you see it's a pretty rough life. I mean, you know, it was not an ideal life, you know. And, I mean, Joseph was born into a world of trouble. I mean, no one should ever wish that someone should be born into the family that Joseph was born into, in Jacob's family. I mean, he was born into a family of hatred and jealousy. I mean, four wives for his father. I mean, that alone. That's like... It's like being born into an amplified Middle East conflict, you know. He's born into a family with the conflict of idolatry in the family, where his own mother was the one who introduced this idolatry into the family when she stole her father Laban's idols. He's born into a family of lying, where his own mother lies to her father about stealing the idols. I mean, Joseph is experience, he experiences the death of his mother, and so opposite the way he is, her dying words are a vitriolic naming of his younger brother, which she calls Benone, which means the son of my sorrow, only to have his father Jacob step in and overrule Rachel's naming of his brother to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. I'm sure that Benjamin Netanyahu is glad about that. 
imagine if his name was son of my sorrow. So he experienced in his family all this envy against him and this jealousy and this hatred, all just because his father made him a coat showing that he was, he was his favorite. He experienced in his family being nearly, his family of seeing his uncle Esau nearly murder him. And on that frightful night when he was, he along with all the family there, were put into two groups with the instructions, maybe Esau will choose to slaughter the other group while you can run for your life. That would scar a person for life. You happen to go through that as a childhood. And, and then he experienced in his family the trauma of having his sister Dina raped. And then he experienced in his family murder as his brothers treacherously murder a whole city of Shechem. And then he experiences in his family his own brothers trying to murder him. And all he has to do is remember, I remember seeing the blood drip off of their swords as they grab him and throw him in this pit. And then he experiences the trauma of having his brother sell him as a slave to Egypt. Apart from that, he had an ideal upbringing. Very rough family. Very rough family for Joseph to be born into. And if anyone, seeing all that that happened, as we have, would have said uh, way back then, you know, there's going to come a chapter 50, verse 23. There's going to come this scene of verse 23, where it says, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, and the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon his, Joseph's knees. This picture in verse 23 is such a picture of peace and happiness and good fortune. It's just hard to imagine that this is really happening to Joseph because Joseph's here is seeing his grandson's grandson's grandson or something like that. Anyway, there's a lot of kids there. And he's enjoying them. And he talks about being, you know, raised on his knees. He's talking about, you know, teaching the little tykes, you know, and his wisdom. They're brought up on his knees, the little children. They're sitting there. He's loving them. He's talking with them. With such a rocky past and such a terrible family, it's just wonderful to see this. Kind of like our lives. Many of us start out life with terrible experiences where we ran to the Lord. We came to the Lord. And then wonderful things happen to us. Because of 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Old things are become new. Another way to say that? Old things are old things. And new things are new things. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man, isn't it wonderful? It says, any man, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Isn't it wonderful that it, 2 Corinthians 5.17 does not say, if any man who grew up in a church be in Christ, he's a new creature. Isn't it great that it doesn't say, if any man was raised in a Christian home, he's a new creature. Because if it said that, then Joseph would have been eliminated. Because until Genesis 32, the great earthquake chapter for Jacob, his father, when he changed and became Israel, we can't say that Jacob was a godly man, or that Jacob raised his family to honor God. So Joseph's life comes in with all the destruction and turmoil like a lion and leaves here like a lamb. Now, so it's a beautiful scene. Beautiful scene in, in verse 24, where just he's together with his brethren, and it just says, Joseph said unto his brethren. I mean, in spite of everything we talked about, you know, the trouble, he's surrounded 
by his family in this time of death. Family. Family is very important for the Jewish people. It's for some of the Jewish people. My father was divorced five times, so I don't know. I always had an identity crisis. I didn't know which family I was a part of, but it doesn't matter. So, but this scene of Joseph surrounded by his family approaching his final time on earth, it really made Joseph happy just to see his children and his children's children and his children's children's children. You know, they're all gathered around him now. And they've never seen Joseph come to this point of death, to this state of death, this, this dying stage right now. So Joseph has always been for them the tower of strength. But now Joseph is yielding to the pull of death. And the children, can you imagine them? They're watching Joseph and they're wondering, well, what's it going to be like when Joseph dies? Is he going to be as strong in death as he's been in life? What they see here and what Joseph says is that the flame of Joseph's faith, it shoots the highest now at the time of his death. So, and what happens here is that Joseph is not talking about himself. Joseph's not saying, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, no, I don't want to die. He's not acting like Hezekiah. I don't want to die. You know, he's talking about others. He's taking care of others. In his last moments on earth, he's thinking about the needs of his family in verses 24 and 25. And so you see Joseph with his brothers, and he says, and he speaks to them. In verse 24, Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land that he, which is swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Just imagine this. If you were one of the family there, and how this sounds to you, in verse 24, Joseph says, I die. I mean, it must have sounded terrifying to them. They thought, you die? You can't die. <laughs> like, it's like what my first day of chemo, I was so wiped out, or second day, I don't know what it was. I think I passed out into bed, but I remember Cheryl standing over the bed saying to me, don't die. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So, you know, here they are. Joseph just says, I die. And you can imagine they're saying to themselves, you can't die. You know, uh, Jacob died, but, and you're going to die. What's going to happen to us if you die? You're the only friend that we have in Egypt. We are not Egyptians. The only reason we have a welcome in Egypt is because of you. If you die, we're in for big trouble. That's really what did happen to them. I mean, the whole persecution started out. When it starts out in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on! Let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, he did, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and, and, and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter, with hard bondage, mortar, brick, all manner of service in the field. Their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. And then the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other is Pua. And he said, when you do the service of midwife to a Hebrew woman, and you see upon the stools, if it be a son, you kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. 
So, what is this? This is Egypt turning into Nazi Germany. For the Jewish people, the Egyptians, they're making their lives miserable. And the Egyptians enslave the Jewish people in a concentration camp settings, forcing them to build all these cities for the Egyptians. And then came the Egyptians' final solution, the extermination of all the male babies and all designed so that beautiful Jewish women could be taken by the Egyptians for the eventual extinction of the Jewish people. And all this was because of Exodus 1.8, Exodus 1.8, there arose up a new king in Egypt which knew not Joseph. So this is what the brothers are terrified of. They came into Egypt not even speaking the language. And it's understandable how terrified they'd be when Joseph says to them, I died. And he knows this. Joseph knows how afraid they are. And so he does his very best when he says to them in verse 24, he says to them, I die, and God shall surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which you swear to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob. So what Joseph is doing here is he's telling them, you know, he's telling them, hold on to this. Grab a hold of this promise of God here like a life preserver. Cling to it. Uh, you know, the other day we were at prayer meeting, and uh, I think, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, we're seeing the song that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And we were talking about the picture that that gives and Ken said, um, when he thinks of that, he thinks of getting in the water in the swimming pool, let's say, for example, or ocean, or whatever, with a little kid that doesn't know how to swim and the way they cling to you, you know. <laughs> good, 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 good picture. So here he's telling them, cling to this promise. And then he takes an oath from them in verse 25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So I look at Joseph. Joseph's brother look at Joseph and they think to themselves, boy, if anyone had a reason just to settle down and say how sweet it is and just forget about Canaan, it was Joseph. I mean, for the brothers, Canaan just looked like a land filled with hostile enemies, a land that was destroyed by famine, probably dust blowing all over the place, not at all fruitful. By contrast, Egypt was a land of friends, at least at that time they were friendly to the Jewish people. It was a land of fruitfulness. They lived in the most fruitful part of Egypt at the end of the Nile. Basically, the Nile is so fertile because of the water that overflows it that has carried all the nutrients out of, uh, from Africa, uh, where the blue and the white Nile meet together, and dumped it into Egypt. And the best dump at all, of all is at the end, the land of Goshen. So they, the brothers say, this is like, uh, you know, Maui here. So they look at, at Joseph and they say, he looks like an Egyptian. I mean, he dresses like an Egyptian. He speaks the Egyptian language. He's got an Egyptian wife. He's got Egyptian children. He even has an Egyptian name. And he looks so Egyptian that at first they didn't even recognize him as their brother Joseph. But as Joseph is about to die here, he is divorcing himself totally from Egypt. He's saying that he's a stranger in Egypt and that he's been clinging to the hope of leaving Egypt. And they must have wondered, you know, how could Joseph now be so separated from the land that he rules over and from the land that's been so good to him? 
And there's just, and, there, and it was, look at that, there's only one word that it can be used for how Joseph was able to divorce himself, why he was divorcing himself from the land of Egypt, separating himself. And it's the word that's given about this very time here in Hebrews 11.22. Hebrews 11.22 says, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. How could Joseph do this? By faith. Faith. It was by faith. When he is dying here, he's speaking about Israel leaving Egypt. He's giving them a commandment. He's taking an oath. Carry my bones away. And someone might say in that group, or maybe not say it, but think it. Someone might sit there and think, what difference does it make? Where are Joseph's bones rotten, deteriorate? Why not just leave them wherever they, he dies? Why take this oath that we have to carry his bones back to Canaan? just seems kind of creepy. You know, they're asking his brothers to promise they're going to carry his bones. Well, as Joseph is getting his brothers to make this promise to him, he knew that, that, that they would not be the ones who were going to carry his bones out. He knew that. Why? Because the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, Genesis 15, 13, where God said, he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them, they shall afflict them 400 years. Joseph knew that. I mean, this is the promise. This is the passage of the promise that they're going to leave. And he knows it's going to be a 400-year time. So he's telling his brothers, guarantee to me that you're going to carry my bones out, but he knows that they're not going to be around 400 years from now. I mean, just imagine this time period here. I mean, you know, if you were in the U.S., when the U.S. was formed in 1776, and you got someone to promise to carry your bones out of the U.S. 400 years later, that means today we're halfway through. Got another 200 years. And you told people, don't lose those bones. (laughs) And we can imagine how important those bones were for Israel, because as each new generation comes on the scene, there'd be the instructions that, you know, those are Joseph's bones, and we need to not lose them, take care of them, and just have them ready. Have them ready there because, we, you know, when God gives the call, we got to carry them out. So those bones became pretty important. And they represented, like, Joseph. And it's, like, it's like that coffin where the bones were in were like they were speaking for Joseph all the time. You know, and what the, what the coffin was saying, what the bones were saying is that don't get settled down here in Egypt because God is going to bring you out of this place. And when he does, you need to carry my bones out. And so... Uh, you know, where Joseph's bones were, that was the point, is that they represented Joseph continually saying, God's going to take you out. God's going to take you out. It reminds me of a missionary. Some of you may remember this missionary, but anyway, back here in the, it was here in the chapel in the 70s. And the missionary was building his house in the jungle. And the natives were helping him build his house in the jungle. And, And the natives they worked hard, you know, clearing the land and building the fence and getting the foundation for his house ready. And they worked really hard as long as the missionary was there. But as soon as the missionary left, he had to go do some things, the natives stopped working. Even though the missionary continued to pay them during the time, they just stopped working. So the missionary came up with this solution to the problem because the missionary was blind in one eye and he had a glass eye. So the missionaries got the natives together and he told them that he had to go, but that he wanted them to keep working even though he was gone. 
And the reason the missionary gave the natives keep working is because he was going to leave his eye there <laughs> to keep watching them. So right in front of the native there, the missionary pops out his glass eye from his eye socket, and he put his glass eye on the top of a fence post. <laughs> and the missionary told them his eye was going to stay behind and watch them. And when the missionary came back, he found the natives. They worked hard. <laughs> yeah, you could watch the natives, and they were looking at his eye all the time. You know? <laughs> and so, okay, so just as the missionary left his eye behind to watch the natives, to keep the natives working, Joseph left his bones behind and commanded his bones to be carried out of there. And, and just as it worked for the missionary to keep the natives working, it worked for Joseph also. 400 years later, the record shows in Exodus 13, 19, Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn, straightly charged, straightly sworn, the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. I mean, can't you just picture Moses? Can't you picture Moses at that time saying, all right, it's time to leave Egypt. And, and where are those bones of Joseph? We've got to make sure we take those bones. So when it says there that he did that in Exodus 13, 19, Exodus 13, 19, that Joseph had straightly sworn the children of Israel for them to take his bones, the word straightly there, it's the same word as sworn. It says straightly sworn. What it really is saying there is he's saying sworn, sworn. That's a double emphasis the way they did it. So Moses takes the bones, and for 40 years, they wander around the Sinai Desert, and the bones wander with them. And during those 40 years, Moses is not able to bury the bones. So, and then, you know, Moses never went in, as you know, to the promised land. So now Moses is now transferring the reins uh, to Joshua. And as he's passing on to Joshua and, and you know, he, the staff of leadership or whatever he did, he's saying to Joshua, oh yeah, and here's Joseph's bones also. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, 
meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited-time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large-printed Genuine Lambskin Leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God Hymnal. This hymnal The first of its kind contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. 